Welcome to the show, everyone. This is produced by Stakeholder Center Coaching, where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. Today's episode is another installment in the series Conversations with Coaches, where our top coaches share the behind-the-scenes unfolding of their careers. The goal of the series is to give you an intimate peek behind the curtain so that you can see the messy ingredients that go into building a successful coaching career and the rewards that come at the end of the tunnel for those who are willing to put in the effort. I'm your host, Brandon Murgard, and if you'd like to ask a question or recommend a guest, send me an email to podcast at mgscc.net. My guest today is a Richard Bandler Certified Neurolinguistic Programming Trainer and Coach Trainer, as well as a Marshall Goldsmith Leadership and Team Coach. In conjunction with Henley Business School, he develops programs designed to help coaches conduct effective marketing initiatives for their coaching practice. After 30 years in buying, business development, and business strategy in companies like B&Q, Argus, and BT, he's been running his current business for 15 strong years. His strapline is that he helps people succeed in their leadership, entrepreneur, and relationship adventures. Please welcome to the show our guest, Michael Beale. Great to have you on the show, Michael. Thank you, and really great to be here. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Looking forward to what questions you ask me. And you? Yeah. You know what, Michael? I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling fortunate today. You know what? Why? Um, it's been about, you know, if my number's right, it's, it's, it's been about a half decade since we've gotten to work together. You're right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm You're excited right. to do it again. It was, uh, let's see, it would have been back in about 2015 or so uh, when we brought on Expedia as a client. And in fact, it was you who brought the project in. And I was yeah. fortunate enough to get to work with you alongside on the project, although it was, you know, an arm's distance between us. But today we get to sit down in the trenches and learn about what all went into making the man that I know today. So I have to say I'm very excited. Carry so on. My aim for this interview, Michael, is that the audience learns about your background um, and how you've packaged it together uh, because you do a great job building a pathway towards the career that you have today. So um, with that in mind, uh, let's start back at the beginning. Your early career began with work as a merchandise controller and buyer at B&Q, where you supported the company through a, a massive transformation. It was something like 30 million to something like a billion euros uh, in turnover. So tell us a little bit about the position and, and what it meant for you. Okay. I think I'll say a little bit about both positions. I was, uh, um, I started off as a, as a, as a, as a buyer and there's a couple of things in that. The first one is I smile. I got through 10,000 cold calls, um, which I, I, I actually find quite entertaining. And I, the one thing I will say, I respect all the salespeople here. Um, selling isn't the easiest of jobs, but the one thing in that job, I actually needed people to call me. So, so cold calling is still a useful, a useful thing. The other thing was actually building partnerships, building partnerships with suppliers who could enable us to make our revenue targets, our profit targets, and not cause us too much hassle. The merchandise controller bit was a bit interesting because I got yanked out of that to do a project with IBM where we looked at putting some systems in. And I had the interesting job of doing the cost benefit um, analysis for a, a project that cost 90 million. 
at that time, the company only had a turnover of about 40 million. Um, and we invested the, the, I had to put the, the cost benefit together part of the proposal and the board agreed it. We then put a project three pots and inventory and all that sort of stuff in. But it was really interesting because I got the job to do the cost benefits in the beginning. And then I had to demonstrate this wasn't so easy. I had to demonstrate the benefits as we went through. And it was a fascinating learning experience. But curiously, which I think relates to what you're going to talk about later is, I was able to do it because I had my stakeholders on side. I could have never done that job. It was too, it was too fraught with danger and all sorts of things, as many large projects were. But it taught me looking back that if you've got your stakeholders in, 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 if you're in alignment with your stakeholders and they quite like you and they're happy to work with you, you can work miracles. But if you haven't, you just can't. So it sort of brought me, it brought me to that idea because in some, com in, in some jobs later, I totally flunked it because I didn't get on with my stakeholders or I didn't suss out what my stakeholders wanted. So it relates to what we're talking about, that actually getting on the right side of your stakeholders is a major criteria for being successful. Because even if you're good, if people are against you, it becomes an impossible task. That's amazing. So that's my my learning that's one of that's one of my um learnings we were one of the first companies in the world to put a full epos inventory reordering system um so it was it was it was a fascinating time and that led the the foundations for the company now having a turnover of about four billion that was the that was the, the heart of the system that got the got the got the thing working we sort of changed every job in the in the in the process we didn't know what we were doing of course but that's not necessarily that's not necessarily a barrier of course so you you had this this very rich background in industry you now have a very rich background as a coach and it sounds like even as earlier even as early as your early career you were already getting exposed to the need for stakeholder alignment. What else did you learn through these projects? Um, what else did I learn through the projects? The importance of project management. <laughs> the, the, importance of, the importance of basic project management, the importance of working out what your benefits are and how in hell you're gonna measure them. That sounds simple, but it's not. Um, so it's, it, 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 it's those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that, 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 was, that was about, that was about it. But the, the stakeholder thing, I think, is the one thing I took forward. And funnily enough, I wasn't conscious of it through a number of different roles until I started doing some of the coaching. And that's why Marshall stuff, when I came across it, the brain suddenly clicked in and said, hey, there's something here I've missed. I'd sort of gone through it, but actually doing it consciously is something that I wasn't aware of, which is why I've introduced most of, a lot of Marshall stuff in, in all my coaching. I, in all, before, as I take clients on, um, I give them three sessions and I'll, I'll give, tell you the reason I give them three sessions later, but I give them three sessions and one of the sessions I get them to do their own stakeholder analysis as a part of working out what they want to be coached on. Um, and again, a little bit like Marshall's process in everything I do, I want to spend as enough time so my clients know what what they're going to get out of what we do because one they can work out whether they want to work with me but more importantly they get they realize the value for what they get out of what they do so there's a lot of martial stuff that is applicable to all sorts of coaching he, he in my view is very has some very very strong processes that we can all use and help our clients be more successful 
Would you say that this exposure to stakeholder alignment early on was the place from where your interest in leadership and coaching sprouted, or did that happen later on in your career? I think that happened later. I think that that, that I think that happened later. I actually found myself in leadership positions without having a clue what to do. Now that didn't necessarily stop me, um, and it's almost it's almost later, many years later, I look back and I think. God, some of my sorry, sorry about that. Some of my leaders, some of the leaders I had were really appalling, and um, it's actually only now that I'm beginning to put the bits of the jigsaw to the jigsaw together. And when I work with clients, I do say to them, I'm not telling you what I did. I mean, some of what I did really worked, but I'm not teaching people, not coaching people on what I did. I'm teaching teaching people what I've seen from my other clients' works. Mm. And. As you put this jigsaw together, it just as a thought experiment, if you'd entertain it, what percentage of that puzzle is completed? You've been doing this for 15 years as a coach. You've been experiencing it for much longer in industry. If you were to say 100% of the puzzle is where you would want to be, how much of that would you say is compiled now? Well, I would say 50%. Basically, it's something I'll say later. One of the, I, I uh, there's one of my, one of my, one of my, one of my clients that, was right at the beginning when I started my business and we're, we're friends and we talk every week and he's a business development guy. And every, every year or two years, we have a gentle moan, like two, you know, two old men moaning. And we say, why have we got to keep on reinventing ourselves? Mm-hmm. And the reality is every couple of years, we have to reinvent ourselves. Now, if I did a little bit more future planning, they may, that may not have to happen, but looking at my, my career, because I think one of the, the questions may come later is the transition to coaching. My transition into coaching was easy, but I still, but what, had I thought about it differently, I might have done a lot more planning work. But the reality was it was easy, but I still had to reinvent myself every couple of years because things change. Let's get some some quick stats on the board for our listeners. Uh, how many years have you been formally coaching, would you say? Uh, 15. It's 15 plus. It's, it's a bit more than 15. I don't admit how old I am. So so we'll say 15, 15 or so. Yeah, sure. 15 or so. Good. And uh, during this time, you know, general general clients, how many clients have you served over these years? I think it's difficult because when I started, I did, um, I did group training and stuff. Hmm. I'm now doing one-to-one coaching. So um, the numbers of one-to-one coaching – uh, probably is about 120. It's not a huge number. I do, I do mm-hmm. probably about 12 a year, 12 individual people a year. Mm-hmm. And in terms of stakeholder center coaching, how many of those clients have used some form of the stakeholder center coaching tools or process in the engagements? Okay, it's all everything. I I take everybody through some of the processes. I take them through um, getting feed forward at the start of the program. Um, I get them. I because I want them because. Um, managing stakeholders, in my view, is so key to success that I want everybody to have a flavour of it. I want everybody to get a get a feel of it. Whether they they do it more is up to them, but I want everybody to have a feel of it. So I bring quite a lot of martial stuff into my. In, whenever I work with somebody, I bring a lot of martial stuff and a lot of martial stories into it. Okay, so it sounds like feed forward is one of the key tools that you you use yes. most frequently. Okay. Yes. Um, Good. So, yeah, you've got you've got that experience uh, in business. You've got the experience as a coach. And as we start looking at the transition point, um, how long would you say it took you to go from the first inspiration to become a coach to actually taking that full plunge 
into the industry? Um, I think I'm a little bit different. As I say, I sort of fell into it uh-huh. without too much thought. I fell into it without too much thought, but I still had to reinvent myself every couple of years. So mm-hmm. what actually happened was I was working at BT. Um, I was going to pay to go on an NLP course. My uh, training manager was quite friendly. He said, oh, don't worry, Mike. We will pay for you to go on it. And actually, they sent me on three NLP courses. Um, I was obviously, I obviously convinced somebody of something at that time. And they even let me start my NLP business while I was still there. Mm. And I was in this interesting situation where um, uh, that that I won the contract for, I, I was doing my day job, which was running the strategy of a particular division. And uh, on the side, so every weekend I was working and a lot of evenings I was working, getting my business going. Mm. Well, uh, Uh, would you give us a brief introduction into NLP for our our listeners who may not be familiar with the practice? Yeah, NLP is an interesting thing because some people love it, some people hate it. Um, Mm. But that's a huge advantage because um, by advertising NLP on Google, I get clients. (laughs) So, So as I say, the fact that it's not vanilla is actually really, really useful. Um, I really am a bit of a fan of NLP, and it's a good grounding for anybody that wants to increase their communication and communication and influence skills. Um, NLP is basically a modeling skill. That is, we are interested in how people produce results. Um, in doing that, we come out with a heap of techniques. And most people see NLP as techniques, but actually the real skill, the, the real skill is modeling. Um, the other thing I'll say about it that's interesting is it, it works very well with Marshall stuff because my view is Marshall has some amazingly powerful processes. Um, NLP is more about, but NLP is very helpful in how you run those processes mm. in how you, how you actually implement, how do you get in rapport with people? How do you get people to, 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 to trust you? How do you get people to move in a particular direction? We also do some fascinating stuff around storytelling, um, around hypnosis, which is hugely fun. Um, I've, I've talked about modeling, about actually asking good questions, asking clean questions, or understanding the reasons for questions. So NLP, if you go through an NLP course, um, it does blow your mind a bit because it gets you to think differently. It gets you to um, yeah, gets you gets you it, in, it enlarges the way you think and get improves your emotional intelligence a bit. It gets you to connect with your intuition and all this sort of thing, which is a very good basis for other disciplines. Yes, and it's quite fun because just like coaching, um, I work with people, a small number of people across the world, and I learn from whatever they do. That's one of the things that I've learned from doing the one to one stuff rather than the group stuff. To help them, I have to understand where they are and how they think to some extent. And that means I learn from them almost as much as they learn from me, which is cool because it keeps mm-hmm. me fresh. Yeah, it surely helps with reinventing yourself continuously as well. It does. It does. It does. So and I think if- we're all going to have to reinvent ourselves over the next few years too. I think we're running into a very interesting next five, ten years where a lot of a lot of reinvention will happen and a lot of people that aren't doing it will suddenly find their jobs disappear and all sorts of things. I think, I think we're going into a very interesting time. Oh, but Michael, we just had three years of, of radical transformation. You're telling me there's more on the horizon. Yeah, That's, that's the warm up. Okay. That was, that was the warm up, and maybe we're going through a quiet period. There's also, I mean, it's like the impact of AI. There's all sorts of interesting things going on. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, we're all running hot, so I think our warm-up is, is <laughs> gotten us ready for whatever's next. Uh, but tell me a little bit, if I was a leader and I called you up, I said, you know, Michael, I want to be a more effective leader. I have the stakeholders at work, and I'm just not, I need some help doing the right things. Can you use NLP to help me? What would my experience be working with you in an NLP framework? What would my experience? What would my what would your experience be? Um, in essence, just like the Marshall stuff, this is another thing that I've learned so much from Marshall is I can't work with everybody. Mm. I produce very very good results of the people that choose to to work for me. But I but I agree. I think it was an Alan Mulally comment that one of the secrets of coach, coaching is easy, but one of the secrets is you have to choose the right clients. So the yeah. difficult thing, the difficult thing is choosing the right clients. Um, and I, I, I am continually surprised, but that hits me quite hard. So I spend a lot of time selecting in or selecting out clients or putting them through a process where they select in or select out themselves. Mm. It, tell me um, about that. How do you, how do you select? What are you looking for? And how do you actually judge that when you're looking at a leader who's asking for I, help? I've, I've taken, I, again, I've taken a lot out of Marshall's book. Um, mm. I have four processes and I probably, four things and I probably forget them now, but the first one is Marshall's thing. I add my own, my own spin to it because I actually say to people, um, to get the very best out of what I do, you need a touch of ambition, courage, discipline, and openness. I've thrown in ambition because I'm sure all Marshall's clients are ambitious anyway, but I like to add that as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an extra one. We have to choose each other. So I have to choose you and you have to choose me. And if either of us doesn't like each other, we walk away, that's absolutely fine. And I mean, this sounds a bit strange, but they have to be happy to pay if they get good results. Mm. Okay. Is it sounds like you're then also using the results guarantee proposition? Is that correct? Um, not so much. Not so much. But it it's it's mo most of the people. Um, it's a bit like Marshall. If you get people to run the process, it works. Mm -hmm. If you get the right people to run through the process and they've got reasonable stakeholders, it will work. And it's the same with me. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't I don't explicit that. But I don't take people on without without saying without saying those words. Mm -hmm. And and there is, and I and, and I do believe Alan Mulally's comment to anybody starting off in coaching, the real art is finding and selecting the right clients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you learn so much. You learn so much from your clients. Because mm -hmm. they're almost teaching you. that it, It's like you've got a number of people around the world testing things out for you. So I know it's, <laughs> that sounded a bit wrong, but but you've got a number of people out in the world testing different approaches, and you you are in the privileged position of finding out what works, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which actually like helps your future clients. Good. Well, Michael, I have one question I have to ask because <laughs> uh, an audience member reached out to me uh, and asked me personally that I ask this question and that I make it a, a mainstay of most interviews with coaches. So we're going to give this a whirl this time. Um, it's a fascinating right. question. I think that many will want to hear, but few have asked. Um, and it made me laugh. I hope it gives you a giggle too. Um, but the question was, how do you describe what you do, especially when the person has no idea what you do? And, and the second phrasing of this that was suggested is, how do you describe coaching to your mother um okay let's take the first one first <laughs> let us take the first one first um and i funny enough because it come, this i only came up with this yesterday 
I only came up with mm. this yesterday because somebody asked me a sticky question. Somebody, somebody asked me a similar question. But my current version is um, I help leaders, entrepreneurs. I help leaders. Sorry. I help people on their leadership, entrepreneurial and relationship journey. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I help people be successful. Actually, there's another word in there. I help people be successful on their leadership, their entrepreneur and their relationship journey. And that's what mm-hmm. I do. That's that's crisp. What questions usually follow that? Um, we just get into what they want. I mean, I like asking the questions first. It's mm-hmm. like whenever I have a first meeting with a with a potential client, before they say anything, I just say to them, what make this meeting useful to you? Mm-hmm. So I'll always mm-hmm. start off, if I can, getting them to, for all sorts of reasons, getting them to say what, what would make it useful for them almost before I talk. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I don't talk too much about me at all. I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in building a picture. I'm much more interested in being a catalyst in letting them build a picture of what they want. Well, not talking about yourself much, this interview must be a little bit uncomfortable then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm learning to be okay with discomfort. <laughs> I, am finally learning, I am finally learning to be okay with discomfort, a huge skill. Um, it, it is. And, you know, it's, it's funny that this question was posed because, you know, of all the people who come back and say, you know, I, I don't really know exactly what you do. Can you describe it again? It's, it's my mom and I keep banging my head against the wall thinking, what, it, what part of this have I, am I not explaining clearly? Um, but it sounds like with what you have, you have a really nice, clear sentence that's going to beget more questions, and that seems yeah, to be no, the that's secret. right. That's that's that, yeah, that, 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 that's basically the idea. Okay. I mean, the, sorry, no, I just that, that I could say more on the subject, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, this is what we're here for, Michael. Lay it on me. <laughs> no, no. There's a very good Sandra approach, Sandra's as a sales system, that I quite like. Um, which is where you actually, if you're, if you're introducing yourself to somebody who you don't know, you say something like, I work with these sorts of people and they get these sorts of benefits from working with me. Does any of this resonate you or are you interested in something else? Mm. There's a structure there that I quite, that, that is, that I, that I, that I really like. I, cause it's getting, cause in essence, we, we work well with a certain group of people. So we must well let know who they are so mm-hmm. you can choose whoever you want i work with ceos or i work with ambitious executives or it doesn't matter what it is but i work with x um on these sorts of issues and typically they get these sorts of benefits does this do you relate to this or is there something else you'd like to talk about mm. i like that and uh for those of you who are listening at home if you're on your drive or listening in at the gym um Send us an email. Tell us how do you describe your profession, yeah. especially to someone yeah. who has no idea what coaching or leadership training any of this is. Uh, send it to me, podcast at mgscc.net. I'm incredibly curious to hear. Uh, and I like the way Marshall, Marshall uses his line, I help successful leaders become more successful. Um, you know, it's got to be snappy and it's got to be intriguing enough to ask those questions. So I would want to ask you, Michael, because you have such good questions that you ask both from from the very first meeting as well as through your NLP. Yeah. What other really valuable questions could you share with our audience and encourage them to ask their clients when they're coaching? Uh, I'm going to answer a different question, if I may. 
Please. I'm very good at not answering questions, actually. I'm very skilled. Because I was a buyer, I'm so used to asking other people questions that I, I've, learned, I've learned an ability. So I'm going to ask a different question. <laughs> I'm going to answer a different question. And the questions I'm going to answer is, what are we doing when we ask questions? I'm, going to, I'm doing a much more top level. What are we doing when we ask questions? And I think there are three main reasons for asking questions. One is to get information. Um, um, and, one, and particularly to get accurate information. One is to lead their emotions, because we can ask a question which will lead them to a positive emotional state. One is to lead how they think, because mm -hmm. we're asking a question because actually questions lead the way people think. And I think that's a, that, that's a useful way of approaching um, how we want to plan questions. Mm -hmm. what, are we, what, what is the actual outcome of the question? What are we actually trying to do? Um, and there are lots of questioning techniques. There, there are lots of questioning techniques. One, one of the NLP thing is something called the meta model, where we ask questions based on people's language. Um, when we want to, so we don't need to know any content. We ask questions based on people's language, which means we, we which forces us to listen because we actually have to listen very carefully to the to the words. But it means we automatically, whatever anybody says, we can always ask a question. And that is tremendously liberating, actually, when you know whatever anybody says to you, <laughs> however, however much they, they may be trying to phase you, you can always ask a question about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, on the, the point of, uh, let's say, a philosophical point, I'll pose the yes. question. Um, what role do leading questions play in a coaching engagement? And I ask this because there are there are. Um, large players in the space that have taken a pretty harsh stance against leading questions um, and then others that fully embrace them and utilize them for their full potential. Okay. What's your take on it? I'm still going to ask you a question. What's your yeah. definition of a leading question? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, you, must be, you must be an NLP trainer. Um, what, seriously, what, 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 what's your definition of a leading question? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll venture a guess. I mean, I'll venture a definition, but I hope yeah. that I'm not held held to this. Um, I would think that a leading question is one that uh, the answer, the correct answer is already known and that it's asked in a way to force someone to respond in a particular way. Although that's a very pejorative definition. I don't mean that pejoratively at all. No, okay. Okay. What's um, the answer? Sorry. The, the answer is everything is, I'm sorry about this. Everything is context specific. Okay. Everything is context specific, and I'll give you another 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 way we can ask questions, um, uh, which is where you 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 work out what is true to the other person, and you ask questions where you'll get genuine yes answers. Oh, okay. And the, reason, the reasons you may want, and I say, if this is done, if you fake this, it sounds terrible, but if you do it for real like you're doing it genuinely, it works really well. There's an argument when people first meet us that they are testing us for being truth or lie. That, you know, naturally two people meet, you know, in the old tribal thing, is he a friend or is he an enemy? And if you, are, if you ask questions where either the person is confused or they say no to, you might go into the enemy camp. So basically there's an argument where you ask questions where people will genuinely answer yes. So you get them in the habit of asking yes. And only when you've built some rapport and they're comfortable with you, do you ask, do you move to potentially asking challenging questions? 
Mm. Okay. Let that, let that flow. This is something you learn from him if you study hypnosis. I know it sounds a bit weird and wonderful, but um, there's an old sales technique called the yes technique, okay? And if it's done terribly, it falls flat. But if you do it naturally and comfortably, and the interesting thing is you have to think in advance, what is the person likely to say yes to? And that sort of forces you to work out who they are, what's important to them, all this sort of thing. Mm. I'm sorry, that's a bit of a tangent, but it's an interesting, it's another, it's another reason for asking questions. Um, I, I appreciate this kind of dialogue immensely, Michael, and please, you have my full permission to uh, re rehash any question or rephrase it, throw it back, whatever you like. This is, this is what we're here for. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, strap in. It sounds like it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, but, you know, a, a key value I really want to lead in these conversations yeah. is vulnerability. And if you'd be willing to, I'd love to hear an example or even just test out this technique. What could you tell us or show us so that we could better understand the uh, just how contextual the leading questions can be or how to actually okay. I'm, ask uh, the I'm, again, I'm, again, I'm not going to, I'm going to answer a different question, but please push me back. You are, you are allowed. To, I say this to my clients, by the way, I do warn my, I, by the way, I say my couple of things I say to my clients. I always say, you have a red card. You have a black card. If I talk too much, raise my card, raise the card and tell me to shut up and I'll ask you questions. Okay. Because <laughs> when, when I started coaching, I used to ask all questions, and I was—I I didn't say enough. It was—it didn't quite work. I then went to a phase when I used to talk too much, and now I know sometimes I can talk too much. So I make sure I give—I ask my clients permission. I—I I give my clients permission at all times. They're the—they're the boss, so they can always shut me up. That okay, didn't answer. I like that didn't, <laughs> and then something else, because you brought up the vulnerability thing, okay? Mm -hmm. And my view now, if you want to create trust, if you want to create rapport with people, I have four different approaches for doing it. One is you're a bit of an alpha male, because some people like alpha males. One is you, and this is the NLP thing, you're like them, because generally we like people like us, because if we're... If we're like somebody, we come from the same tribe, all that sort of stuff. There's some very deep stuff going in. We understand ourselves. If somebody's like us, then we understand them. And that can be speaking at the same speed as them, um, repeating occasionally some of their words back, not overdoing. As soon as people fake this stuff, it looks terrible. But if they, but it's what we do naturally anyway. We sort of, when, we, when we're working with somebody, um, you can tell if you're in a bar and you look at people, you can tell who's in rapport, who's working together, who isn't. Um, and there's something about we like people like ourselves because we understand ourselves. So um, um, the second one is likeness. The third one is talking about what's important to them. If we happen to know, that's why that's why I asked the question right at the beginning, what would make this use, meeting useful to me, useful to you? Because if you answer me, I know what's important, and I talk about what's important to you, then you'll get into rapport with me because you want to know what I say because it matches what you want. So the third one is to talk about what's important to the other person. And the fourth one, which sounds totally counterintuitive, is be vulnerable. Mm. Sharing vulnerability brings... Not with everybody, not with everybody, but sharing a vulnerability, telling a story where you fucked up or you, you've done something wrong actually builds human connection. 
So if I'm, if I'm interested in developing rapport, and it doesn't work with everybody, but what I do is based to increase the chances of getting into rapport, there are four different approaches, um, which can work very well. And the last one, the vulnerability, was a real surprise. <laughs> was a real surprise to me because I wouldn't have believed it. I've now read lots of stuff that confirm it. I wouldn't have believed it, but I went through a particular time in my life, um, and it's too interesting for me to tell you what it is. <laughs> but I went through a particular, I went through a, a particular time in my life um, where there was something I thought I would never share, but I, but I shared it with um, a number of people, and actually it strengthened the relationship. Mm. The fact that I, the fact that I had, because um, being vulnerable, it sounds weak, but it requires courage. Mm. And you don't want to do it with everybody, but actually, it's like taking your clothes off. It's like taking away of. It's like taking away a bit of your emotional armor. And often, um, um, some people it will frighten because they do not want to take their armor off under any circumstances. But other people relax and say, "Oh God, this is this is a guy. Sorry, this is a guy I can talk to." This is somebody I can share my, you know, share what my, what's really important to me. So four ideas, four ideas for building rapport. Yeah, let's recap those one more time, just for the people listening on the drive. Being a bit of an alpha, you're you're a bit of a leader. You know, you're you're the person they, the, the, the per, you're the person they want to become. So a bit of an alpha is one. Two is to be like them, share something in common with them. Number three is uh, you talk about what's genuinely important to them, and number four you declare some vulnerability. Mm. Mm. I like that. And, you know, on this topic of, of vulnerability, especially necessary as we, yeah. we pivot towards, um, you know, the actual transition, uh, the transition into coaching. Um, so, you know, with your permission, I'd love to drill down in vulnerability yeah. as we talk about uh, failures. And I'd like to start with a central piece of most careers, which is the family unit. Uh, can you right. tell us a little bit about how that conversation unfolded with your family, starting with, you know, what was their what was their reaction to the news that okay. you're going to move into coaching? OK, well, I, I was divorced at the time and I'm, I'm still very friendly with my ex-wife and I'm obviously friendly with my three kids and grandkids and all that sort of thing. Um, they were all happy. I was doing what I wanted to do. Mm. They, they their, their view was. Um, <laughs> yeah, their, their view was they were, they, were, they were happy with what I with what I was doing because mm -hmm. they weren't terribly pleased with all my corporate life because my corporate life was, I was working too long. I was I wasn't always the cheerfulest person. So actually, from their point of view, um, I actually became a lot more human. Okay. Oh, it's weird to think. I mean, given given how long I've known you, it's weird to think of you not as a cheery person. <laughs> I, have my money. I can do sadness. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll get to that point for vulnerability then. Um, you know, did did that support and their their kind of undying willingness to to back you in this? Did that give you confidence to to tackle this project, or did that give you? I think. A, I think. I, I think. I. I, I one of the one of the one of the things that's supposed to lead to people being happy or fulfilled or whatever word is is good relationships. Mm -hmm. So my 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 view is in any context we become a lot we we become a lot more resilient if we have people around us that support us and love us and whatever the whatever words you want to use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um was there skepticism? Like there was support. Was there skepticism that maybe this isn't going to work out? We're going to have to go back to. Well, our... they were skeptical about me anyway. <laughs> they were skeptical. 
<laughs> I, I had built a hasty, uh, a, a sufficient degree of skepticism in them. <laughs> That's good. I mean, we all need that, right? No, no, I have to say this is this is a different. It's an NLP story, but I think it, it's it's quite fun. Um, um, I took my three kids to Orlando to to play on the swings and roundabouts, and to do a, a persuasion engineering course, which was a hypnosis persuasion course. And my 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 kids were sort of seven, eight, nine, that sort of thing. And my my daughter was was was. Um, um, seven, maybe a couple of years older, but it was that sort of thing. And my eldest son loved it, and my middle son was was absolutely, you know, really got into it. And my daughter said to me, "Mike, that was a load, Dad, that was a load of rubbish." <laughs> in true female, <laughs> in true female um, um, form. However, and sorry, this may be a bit sexist, and I apologise if it is. She then used all the techniques on me, totally ruthlessly for the next ten years. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so so she picked a, she picked a lot up. My view is women sorry, my, my, my view is women are very good at some of this stuff and they mm -hmm. do it naturally and it just tuned her up a bit and it, it sort of gave her permission to do what she do naturally. Well, you know, at this at this point in your your story, um, you've yeah. got your significant business experience, you've got people management skills. Uh, and you, you've shared the career transition with your family with good yeah. effect. Um, but tell me about your personal experience preparing for this role as an NLP trainer and as a coach. Was it scary? Or did you feel confident? Were you nervous at all? Um, that was natural. But the, 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 the cost to me, as I say, was this bit about every two years I've had to, had to reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. So for me, the transition wasn't particularly scary. But don't that doesn't don't assume that it was a um, a painless journey. I think is the way I, I would I would put out it. I was lucky. The transition bit wasn't difficult. The transition bit wasn't difficult. Um, but I still had to go through. I still had to do this. You know, what am I going to do? What where do I get clients? All that all that sort of thing um, is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. So so the transition to me was an ongoing transition, not just a one off. Well, However. I do coach. I do. I do um, coach quite a lot of want to be coaches and that sort of thing. And I always suggest to them, um, don't do what I did. Um, you want to plan it early. You want to give yourself a long enough runway if you can. Give yourself a long enough runway. Start getting clients as soon as possible. They may be just people you're coaching free, but. Um, and I and I also say to to new coaches, there's three things you need to do. Uh, in my view. You need to be able to look after yourself. You need to be able to market and you need to be good at coaching. But being good at coaching may be the least important mm. because your clients will always teach you coaching. If you have good clients, they will teach you coaching. And you can always pick up process. You can always pick up, you know, Marshall's process. You can pick up NLP process, but you have to get clients. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just looking at it as the priority that way rather than people going for coaching degrees and all this sort of thing, and then trying to get clients at the end. They may be successful, but they are not necessarily going, in my view, on the easiest route. Oh, yes. You're singing my song now, Michael. I mean, probably one of the most broken record phrases you'll hear me <laughs> say is, is exactly that. Go out. Your first clients need to be pro bono. Uh, scale them so you've got one starting after a couple months, you've got another after a couple months, you've got another, and then start charging. But nobody wants to work. No one wants to be a coach's first client. 
You've got to break that barrier. And I'm worth, there's something else that I think is important that, um, and it goes back to this thing of choosing the right clients. And in a way, um, if you're, if you're co- now, if I coach somebody for free, because I will occasionally coach people for free for, 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 for various reasons, but it's actually even more important you take the right people on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because what, what I've seen happen, that some potentially very good coaches, they've chosen the wrong clients when they're at this early stage. The client hasn't done anything, and the coaches blame themselves. And it's, it's sort of dissuaded them from coaching. So there's, there's something I do suggest to people is um, you've got to you've got to have a go at um, you've got to have a go at you say you've got to get out there and because this is you look, let me put it this way now nowadays I've come to the conclusion that failing is the best way to learn I didn't like to think like that I didn't like to think like that and there's there's another story we'll come up to where um, um, rejection people saying bad things about you are often good signs. And things not working shows you're trying something. Now, I don't want to be—I don't want to be too much of a fan of not success and failure because we're all looking for—we're all looking to succeed. But sometimes, but sorry, no. Most of the time now, I think failure is on the route to success. Mm-hmm. That we have to pass through a certain amount of failure in order to succeed. And if I was looking back, um, I would have liked to have failed more. Yes, looking back, I would have liked to have failed more. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. It reminds me of uh, there's a wonderful design firm in Northern California who had the yeah. mantra "fail fast to succeed early." Yeah, yeah. The faster uh, you figure it out. Yeah, but we're all being brought up not to do that. We've, sorry, no, I'm generalizing, but certainly mm-hmm. I've been brought up. That was the last. That was not programmed into me. Mm-hmm. But but actually, when we're trying anything new, we just don't. We we have to try to find out what works. Mm-hmm. It's all test and learn. Mm-hmm. Now you said the yeah. So there's another one that that, on the same topic that I think Um, it's like sometimes I think I failed, but I haven't. This may sound strange that sometimes something in my life and I think it's gone terribly wrong. When I look back with a distance of time, actually that failure is what led me to success. So I think we can be we can have an emotional thing and we can react in a way when something doesn't go how we think it ought to go. But that doesn't mean we haven't benefited from it, and it's really helped us in our lives. It's a bit bizarre, but it's happened so many times now that that I'm, I I don't trust my view of failure. Mm-hmm. I, that needs a bit of unpacking. But if you can get a vague view of what I'm saying, <laughs> um, you know what uh, what you're reminding me of is a story that I frequently will use in coaching when we talk about fair. And I'd like to read it. I just pulled this up. Yes. Um, yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah. the proverb of the, the Chinese farmer. Does this ring any bells for you, Michael? It will do I, as you carry on. So carry, <laughs> carry on. Know, I, I came across this with one of my, my private consulting clients, and I just I keep coming back to this, both whether it has to do with business, entrepreneurialism, coaching, or even just with my family. Um, so here's a story I just Google searched parable of the Chinese farmer. A farmer and his family in China owned a horse. His neighbor said how lucky he was to have such a fine horse to pull his plow through the fields. And the farmer said, maybe. One day the horse broke down the gate and ran away. All his neighbors came around to lament his terrible loss, saying it was a terrible bit of bad luck. And the farmer said, maybe. 
Days later, the horse returned to the farm along with seven wild horses. His neighbors came around to exclaim his remarkable good fortune, saying, now you're rich. The farmer said, maybe. A few weeks later, the farmer's son was training the new wild horses and fell off and broke his leg. The neighbors came around to commiserate his misfortune and said, what bad luck you have. The farmer said, maybe. The next week, the army came around talk, uh, taking all of the able-bodied young men from the village to fight in the war. The farmer's son with a broken leg was left behind, and the neighbors now lamented the loss of the son, of the son's ability to move, and commented on how lucky the farmer was that the son got to stay. And the farmer said, maybe. And we never really know what is a success or a failure until much later beyond the event. And I like to use this in coaching for circumstances you just described that we don't know. But what we do know is we're going to learn from this one way or another. Absolutely. But it takes a long time to learn that. <laughs> it can take a long, a long time to learning it. And with my NLP hat on, it's like the emphasis has been taken off goals. We still need goals to measure how we're doing. But the, the, the main thing is we set a direction of where we want to go. We take action every day and we monitor what we're doing. And if we do that, we will always improve. Mm -hmm. And individual goals, we need to be careful because many of my clients are too goal focused and they just beat themselves up when they don't achieve a goal, but that doesn't do them any good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, so to me, the important, the, something that is important is setting a direction of where we want to go. It's a bit like a mm -hmm. compass point. And, and we're going to, sometimes we're going to see, sometimes we're not. It doesn't matter. Providing we keep, take, keep taking action to get there, we will get there. It's a yeah. system rather than a, it's a system rather than a, an individual goal. Yes. And like you said, it's the process that matters. The process it's will the lead to the... Um, and that's the a bit boring, but the process the, <laughs> is a bit boring, but the process is what matters. We want the magic bullet, yeah, not, yeah. The, not the hard work. Um, well, you said the transition was, was much... Uh, what it, you said <laughs> the transition was fairly simple, but there was, yeah. it wasn't without pain. Tell us a little bit about that side of the transition. What, the pain? Yeah. Um, okay, the the um, I'm trying. I'm I'm I am I am I am trying to think. I think one of the first pains was um, clients which I didn't get the clients which didn't get the value that I wanted them to get. And this is a mm. this all goes back to this all goes back to how I've restructured what I was doing. But um, obviously, I'm not going to say who it was. But there was somebody. Um, that I knew that paid up front for a full program. Um, and I thought they wanted some business stuff and they had a problem. They had a, they had a problem with their wife and um, I wasn't capable of helping them solve that, but they sort of went away and I, and I sort of felt, I sort of felt, I sort of felt a little bit, um, a little bit guilty about it. Um, and again, it's, it's, What's so fascinating is when you look at problems, sometimes as a coach, the problem isn't set up to be solvable because you're given a problem that involves other people that aren't that you don't have access to. Um, I'm not explaining this very well, but uh, some some problems are structured in such a way that you almost have no chance of solving them at all. And I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it at that time. Um, the good thing. So I, I almost feel I still feel a bit guilty about it because I say um, um, he paid me his money. And in the end, for reasons I, I, I just because he left, 
I decided not to pay his money back because I thought he's paid it to me. He broke the he 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 he, he broke the contract. Um, but it's thing that's that's the reason now I give people three sessions. I give people three free sessions because in essence I want to be absolutely clear that we both know what they want that that what they. They haven't come to ask for something. And then when we start working, they actually want something totally different. Does that make mm. any sense? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's bold. Sometimes clients, sometimes clients do not quite express what they want. <laughs> and sometimes what they and sometimes clients will come up with a solution that they think they want, but they don't. They haven't done any pre-work before it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as I say, but the 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 result for me was um, and he was a friend too, which made it even worse. Um, so it was, there were things like that, um, that, that, that sort of really disappointed me and did bring me down a bit as an example. Um, but uh, that's, that's why I say we have to keep reinventing ourselves because it's like what I do works. I'm making the figure up, but what I do works well really well with 90% of my clients. Um, but 10% of them, it doesn't, 10%, to be honest, it's, it's actually a better percentage than that, but there's a percentage where it just doesn't work or it doesn't work as well as we would want. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I like the way that you, you solve many of these problems that come up uh, as a coach Um, and a whole other fascinating aspect of your story outside of that is entrepreneurialism. You know, I, this this can be seen ranging from the way that you you run your business as an owner, the many services you offer, and even you know some of the academic endeavors with Henley Business School that we haven't yeah. even broached yet. But as you began your coaching journey, would you say that entrepreneurial and entrepreneurialism was something that motivated you, or was it something that you perhaps steered away from or avoided? No, no, I think it, I think it was a motivation. I think I always wanted to be an entrepreneur in some form. I never mm-hmm. got, got, quite got round to it, um, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, so so entrepreneur on, on, and and many of my clients are entrepreneurs because many of my clients are styling businesses, not always not always um, 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 coaching businesses. So, and I have a great respect because it takes courage to be an entrepreneur because you're starting something that is unproven. Um, and you're building something that is totally new and you're doing what the country needs in many ways because we need to come up with you know, new ideas and 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 doing things. Um, and I think, again, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be OK failing. Because if you're starting a totally new idea, um, the chances of it working first time are actually very small. So it's almost this um, you, you you start it. You keep you you reduce your risks as much as you can, and you're okay if it doesn't work. You, what, what I found is what's interesting is um, it may not work, but you'll learn something that will help you next time. Mm-hmm. It's a little, in fact there are lots of things in life, and it's why the word failure I think is can be often misused because every time you do something and learn something, you're increasing your odds of doing it right next time. Or doing it better mm-hmm. next time, and if you can keep going, you will always succeed. And it's mm-hmm. back to what you're saying: it's a system. It's not a one. It's not a one-off goal. It's developing a system. Mm-hmm. And so it, then, it's, 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 yeah, keep going. As an entrepreneur, what were some of the really hard lessons that you had to that you had to take on early on? Um, I think it's it's you. It's our relationship with what people call failure. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I go back and 
and um, it's a realization now. I mean, I went I went through it and I was okay, so I'm not I'm not moaning about it at all. Um, but now looking back, as I said to you before, um, um, I would be happier failing more, and I would be happy telling people telling me bad things because we're we're all sort of taught to be nice. I'm I'm, I'm not saying this quite in the right way, um, but in essence, it's okay for what messing up is okay. Some people won't like you, whatever you do. And while you obviously don't want to do it for extremes, actually, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you fail, if people say not nice things about you, at least you've done something. And the worst thing you can do is not do anything. And I think that's what entrepreneur thing is about. Also, back to the entrepreneur thing, it ties yet again in with the stakeholder thing. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you need to manage all your stakeholders. You need to work out who your stakeholders are and you need to work out how to influence them. You need to work out how you find out what's important to them. Mm. Uh, and it's quite uh, fun, sorry, just, it, just, just a fun bit. It's quite funny on my entrepreneur thing. A guy that I coached when I was 18, I did a bit of free coaching with him. Um, three years, uh, um, he's now 20, he was 18 when I started. He's now 24. He's just bought, bought his first Ferrari which is bloody difficult to get out of, which is bloody difficult, bloody difficult to get out of. And um, he had his, he's, he started his own business. He does, he does uh, currency, cu he, he offers currency services, which is one of the hardest sales, sales out. And he's bought his, got his, he started his business now. He's been running it for six months. Um, he's doing well. He's taken his first three people on. And it was really cool. He asked me to do a team meeting with him and his his three people. And they're all wannabe whiz kids. They're all yeah. they're all they're all absolute, you know, they're 18 or something, but they're you know, they're they're all out there to make their fortunes. And mm. it was one of the fun it was one of the most fun sessions, team building sessions I've ever run. Some of it, something's a bit extratic, but I can't tell you all the story because we we discussed a whole heap of very interesting subjects. Mm. Well, it's, it's a fascinating story, and we love to hear these success stories. Um, but coming back to entrepreneurialism, what would you say has been uh, one of the biggest challenges in running your coach practice? Um, what's the biggest challenge in running my coach practice? I think the challenge is always getting getting. It comes down to getting the right clients. Everything else is easy to solve. Well, sorry, in my point of view providing we listen and we we're happy to be continual learners the key is getting the right clients because mm -hmm. and if you get if you get the right clients they pay you well they tell everybody how good you are um you learn a lot you enjoy it if you get the wrong clients it can hit your ego it can hit your ego it can hit your confidence they don't want to pay you they tell everybody that you're lousy and you wonder why on earth you got out of bed so the, that that differentiation, that differentiation, I'm being serious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that differentiation, the, the the challenge is finding the right clients. Everything else is easy after that. When when you say finding the right clients, is this a matter of distilling down to choosing who, filtering out who is right and who is wrong, or is this simply well, you need attracting? A big this is, well, you need both because it means you need to initially you need to attract more. See, because there's nothing worse than, from a cash flow point of view, you have to deal with somebody. Mm -hmm. That's the, that is the worst possible. That's the worst possible case. So you need to do both. It means you need you need a, a reasonable size funnel, and you then need to be comfortable to select out to select in and select out the people you want. 
mm-hmm. which is why which I which I go back to. You want to start thinking of marketing or attracting clients right at the beginning, because mm-hmm. if you do that right, everything is easy. Sorry, this is this is from my perspective. If you do that right, everything is easy, because then then the good clients recommend you, and you come back to them, and they 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 do different programs with you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I think I, I, I go back to it's it's the somebody's passion might be coaching. This is the challenge. Somebody's real passion might be coaching, not getting clients, but they mm-hmm. can't coach until they get clients. So I think that's the, um, the there are there are there's something about cash flow. Always ov- obviously always look at cash flow. The rest of the finances will look after itself. But you need to make obviously look at cash flow and please look after look after yourself. Mm-hmm. You are a hero on a journey. I I I I go through the the classic hero's journey with all my clients, which they initially don't like. In fact, when I first heard the hero's journey, I thought it was so negative that I didn't share, didn't dare share it with my clients. I then um, uh, talked to one or two business owners that have been successful, and they said, "Mike, that's exactly how it does. Don't believe all the crap everybody tells you about. It's easy and all this. It's a hero's journey. You will fail. You will mm-hmm. meet your biggest fears, um, but that's how you learn." Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. only when people said to me, said, Mike, yeah, that's exactly it. Don't believe all the other stuff. That's exactly how it is. If anybody's on a um, – and, and, and I liken it in life because that's where it came from because it's a mix of all the metaphors, all the stories in life, um, you know, turned into, one, turned into one story. And anybody that's doing anything that's a challenge will go through those steps. And I think that – um, people are if they if people understand that before they start and you plan for it, then the whole thing becomes much easier. Mm. But if you think if you believe some of the propaganda that, that some people will sell you, and you're going to get you know you're going to get a huge amount of money back within six months, then it's going to disappoint you. And curiously enough, I think the same the same thing goes with when you, we're coaching clients. In a way, I prefer to as I prefer to. Um, set less expectations initially, more expectations longer term. Because I believe the Bill Gates thing, we overestimate what we can do tomorrow. We underestimate what we can do in a year or or, 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 or two years. So I almost prefer to make the journey slight, appear slightly harder so that when they actually achieve a lot more than what I've initially said, they're really grateful. Rather than giving them too higher expectation too early, because then if they get disappointed, they get really disappointed and they it, it hits their motivation to continue. It's a tricky call because when we sell things, you know, we obviously want to be positive when we when we um, when we sell things. But it's this balance of it's this balance of being honest about the journey that they need to take. And that's why I think Marshall is so good with his, you know, you, you need a touch of. Um, as I say, I do it as ambition, courage and discipline and honesty. It's actually saying to people, look. This is about your success. You have to put something in to make yourself successful. And patience can be a virtue. Mm-hmm. So I'm this is, on, this is brilliant. I want to unpack this and make sure that we all can put this in our pocket and use it tomorrow. What I've heard from you is you use the hero's journey, which admittedly paints a bit of a bleak picture. Then yes. on the other side, you set very, very small goals, the, the goals that Mike Coach Bill Zeeb would say, set them so low that if you don't hit them, it's shameful. 
you know, yes. plan to go exercise, <laughs> just put on your socks. Like you can put on your socks. That's, that's all you have to do. And you use that to build momentum later on, you know, that kind of counteracts the earlier negativity or, or bleakness later on, you ramp up the challenge, but they've built that momentum to really feel that they're achieving success. Have I described that correctly? Yeah, I think that, that's how it works. And, and people will nearly always achieve more than they originally thought a lot more than mm. they originally thought. Mm. Um, I and, like that. And it applies to all changes of life. It, it, it isn't just coaching it. It applies to all the, the big challenges we have in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'd like to transition now with the, the wisdom of general Omar Bradley, who went on to become mm -hmm. the first chairman of the joint chiefs of staff in the U S military, um, on the topic of being a great leader, he's quoted with saying that the greatness of a leader uh, is measured by the achievements of the lead. The greatness of a leader is measured by the achievements of the lead. And I like this because it speaks so directly to the outcome of great leadership. Now you as a coach, you are, you are leading the leader. So let's talk about some of the achievements of your clients. And instead of starting with the, uh, the exceptional before and after, let's start with kind of what, what anyone could expect from working with you. So when cl coaches, when clients come to you as a coach, what are some of the typical results they can expect? Okay. Well, actually, I started the other way around because I actually start with what they want to achieve. As I say, okay. my, my, first my first conversation as a client is what would make this useful for you? I then take them through a three-session three process, and that three-session process is to establish what they really want. Okay. Because I want, them to I want them to establish what they really want and work out for themselves the value of getting it. Because that, and it's just martial stuff, because that actually makes them more motivated to go through the downs on the, on the, um, the, 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 the route to get it. So what, do, and, and my view as a coach is to help them on their journey. And the, my, my view of, um, um, so it's their result. It's not, it's nothing to do with me in a way. It's what they achieve and whether, whether I can speed their journey up. I can make the journey more fun and remove some of the pain that they would otherwise have and end up with them getting much bigger results than they otherwise would do. And the whole, the, it, in a way, in a way I'm finding it difficult to measure this, but the, the, if you actually look at what the clients get in relation to the cost of coaching, it is very small. The cost of coaching is very small in relation to what clients what clients achieve. Um, it's like if somebody starts a business or takes their business to the next level, or finds a new it doesn't matter finds a new relationship. It doesn't matter what it is, but the if you actually look at the lifetime value of what you've helped them do, the actual coaching costs are almost insignificant. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I that 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 I personally really believe in this is I go back to times certain times in my life where if I had had a coach, now I would have to have, I've had to have believed in them, but if I had a coach, there are pains and challenges in my life that if I had the right person guiding me, I wouldn't have had to suffer. So I am very, very conscious that the right coach at the right time for the right person can make a huge difference in the, to their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I know that you, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that you've created exceptional results with, uh, you know, some of the joint projects that I've had yeah. the privilege of working on with you. Um, and I know that you bring a number of coaching tools to the table. So in addition to stakeholder center coaching and NLP, are there other auxiliary tools or techniques, skills that you um, bring to your engagement? I'm a great fan. I, well, I think we all, as human beings, I'm going to go really basic here, as human beings, <laughs> we are human beings. And um, you've got to remember that we all have cognitive biases. We all have blind spots. We all have egos. Okay. And two human beings working together will always do, sorry, providing the person you're working with is prepared to listen to you, will always do better than the person on their own. So I'm actually saying, forget all the skills. As a human being, we are naturally bringing, um, we're naturally bringing skills and things that will help the process. As far as answering your question goes, um, one of the guys I really like is Ray Dalio. I like his principles, um, and I, I do bring a lot of his stuff into into what I do. Um, there are a number of people I listen to. I listen to uh, Mark Manson, who used to be a seduction guy, but now he's a he's a life guy. I really love I really love his stuff. He wrote two famous books. He wrote a seduction book, which is brilliant. He wrote a book on the art of being fucked or something like that, and then the continual art of being fucked. And they are so good. <laughs> they are. I almost cried through them. They're just they're just they're 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 just so good. So. I do have a number of people that I that I read and absorb their stuff. But if you ask for one, obviously it's Marshall, obviously it's Richard Band from NLP, but I do like Ray Dalio's stuff. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, uh, hopefully we'll be able to include some links in our, our show notes. Uh, yeah. as, as you and many of our audience members know, uh, Stakeholder Center Coaching is, you know, branded for its systematic approach to leadership yeah. development, which means you can expect roughly equivalent results uh, and roughly equivalent outcomes, regardless of which coach you work with. Um, and so as a result, we encourage uh, coaches to develop their own subject matter expertise in order to differentiate themselves uh, to the clients and what additional values they bring. So in all of the years that you have spent studying, training, and practicing, which domains would you say that you own uh, as a coach. Okay. Well, I'm my, my, as I said, it, it's the, the, the space I'm in is leadership, entrepreneurs and relationships. I don't do too much about relationships, but for some reason I have a lot of female clients and mm. they're interested. <laughs> they're, they're interested in that sort of stuff. So they, between us, we work, we work things out. So, um, I, I'm, I'm, give me, can you give me an example? Can you, can you, I'm, I am obviously fudging my answer. Sure. Give me any, give me an illustration of what you, what you say. Yeah. Of what you're looking for. Well, I know that there are three purposes to any question, Michael. And the purpose of this question um, <laughs> is to find out way, information. <laughs> well, what I'm, what I'm really looking for. Yeah. It's information. I want to know if I'm sitting and I'm listening to you speak today, how will I know that you are most likely or very likely to be that right coach at the right time for the right problem with the right person. Um, how would I identify that? And, you know, that could be your skills. It could be the by achievements. By making an appointment with me and having my three sessions. <laughs> how would someone go about doing that, Michael, since we're on the topic? <laughs> Basically, if you go to any of my websites, I have a time trade thing. You just book a session in my calendar. Mm -hmm. So Can anybody in the world... 
Um, I give you the URL of the website, so you have to hunt through the websites to find out where you book. Um, but it's nlp-techniques.org and nlp-training.org. Perfect. And they can go there and get get uh, they, some they, of these sessions. They, the 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 way the the way I work it anybody can have one anybody can have one free session if they're serious they can have three sessions. Mm. And how do you how do you judge that? How do you know when someone's serious? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question, and I need to improve. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I need to improve it. Um, basically, I'll I'll say to them. You, the three sessions of somebody that's genuine. That, that the purpose of the three sessions is because remember, one of my views is that the client needs to choose the coach and the coach needs to choose the client. Mm -hmm. So there's no hold if you do the three sessions. I'm very happy you go off because it's actually saving us both a lot of time. That's mm -hmm. that's the rejection thing. It's actually saving us a both. If you if you want if you want to do it, you will get benefit out of it. If you don't want to do it. You have no pressure to do it because we're 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 wasting each other's time. The the after the first session, let's find out what they what they what they want to achieve. And funnily enough, if I can help them in one session, I'll do it free anyway. If if there's something mm. if there's something I think they can I can help them with, then I'll 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 do it with them anyway. Um, but it's normally only take the three sessions if you if you generally are prepared to move forward if it works for you. It's an open offer, um, but I get really pissed off when people are doing it. People are trying to be clever and do the three sessions <laughs> for the sake of doing the three sessions because it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah. You got to be honest in this, but you know your your point is reminiscent of of Gary V's hiring concept, and I encourage coaches to think about picking clients yeah. as hiring. Is that hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. You don't have I to know who can that. go forward. You can guess, but once you know that they're not the right person, this has been great. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, I love it. Yeah, I think that's that's important. Uh, so then, if I am am looking at different uh, coaching companies, I'm looking at different right. techniques. Um, what what would set your coaching practice? apart from others in the industry? Or why would a client specifically pick you, Michael Beal, um, okay. as a coach over someone else? Um, luckily, some people recommend me. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, some people recommend me. Um, on the NLP front, I'm the only, um, I'm a Richard Bandler trainer and he's one of the, he's one of the co-founders. And for some interesting reason, he's the only one that he, I'm the only one he lets do this one-to-one -one stuff. Because okay. everybody else has to do it in a group. Okay. Mm. So the advantage of doing it one-to-one -one is that we can focus much more on what you want, because if you're doing it in a group, you'd never have that opportunity. Um, because we're doing it over a longer length of time, you have a, I'm still here when things go wrong. If you go on a nine-day course, you leave it, that's it, mate. But if you're with me and things go wrong after three months, I'm here to help you sort it out. And often the best learning is when things go wrong, and that's when you actually need help to put yourself on the track. And also because I do it over a longer period of time, like with the Marshall process, it's about establishing good habits. And if you go on a short course, you learn a lot, but you may not have turned it into a habit. If you're working with somebody for six months or a year, it's much more likely that you turn the good stuff into habits, and that will lead to your future success.
are most of your engagements in that six month range, would you say? Um, I, I tend not to do less than six months. Um, there are there are a big chunk of clients that have probably worked with me for three years. After three years, it's time for us to have a break. But um, everybody has a different reason. Everybody has a different reason for, sure. for, 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 for working. And some people, sorry, this, this may sound not quite right, but, but some people just enjoy having somebody, in, I'm using all the wrong words here, somebody that they can actually talk to mm-hmm. to listen through their stuff. And having a sounding board is really useful for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can absolutely empathize with that and agree wholeheartedly. In fact, um, you know, Michael, a coach like you has a lot to be proud of and, and equally an amount to share. So stakeholder centered coaching is all about feed forward and action planning yeah. um, as it relates to stakeholders. So in that spirit of helping our listeners enrich their own action plans, I'd like to ask you for some feed forward on behalf of some, some members of our audience. I mean, what I'd like for you to do is just to simply provide some insight or advice for these individuals and audience groups that I think you could help. Does that sound good? It does. Um, I'm not totally sure what you want. Are you looking for some do's, don'ts? What, what's the... Well, yeah, so I'll start with, um, if I'm a brand new coach, I'm just starting yeah. out and I hear Michael Beale's story, I think that's, that's the career I want to build. That's the career I want to work towards. What's just one piece of advice that you could give them um, on their journey? Um, one piece of one one piece of advice um, <laughs> that the struggle is worth it. <laughs> mm. Mm. The, 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 I don't want to overrate the pain because actually, whatever you do, whatever we do in life requires resilience and determination and and those sorts of things. And coaching is no exception. The point I will make is, although many coaches give up. All the ones that I've known that have continued are really grateful that they have. Because there is something about, there is something about, you take something that's actually quite challenging and, and, and quite difficult and you find ways of achieving it. There is a huge amount of satisfaction when you've done it. And also there is a thought that you're, you know, you are doing something that genuinely is helping others. It's helping you too, but it's it's genuine, genuinely helping others. So mm-hmm. it is a bit of a hero's journey. Do not. Um, um, it is better to expect it's going to be tough than expecting it's going to be too easy. And I hope it's too easy for you. But my but my view is, um, like planning. Well, it was fascinating actually. One of my clients climbed Everest twice. Okay. Wow. And when you climb Everest, she was a she. It was fascinating. It was a fascinating story. It was a, a girl in Poland, and. I mean, this is only 30 seconds, but it was it shows that sometimes doing things outside the box works. Um, she was a, 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 a girl in Poland. She decided she wanted to come to the UK. She wrote to the 100 richest book men in Poland saying, will you support me? Two of them said, yes, we'll support you coming to the UK. One said, I've got to, I, but I do expect you to work for me afterwards. And she said, no, mate. <laughs> the other one said he'd pay the money and she could do what she wanted. So she, she, she actually came to the, she actually came to the UK and, and joined a merchant bank. She then um, decided in her thing, she wanted to climb every, every, the biggest peak in every continent. Wow. And when she came for me for coaching, she wanted to climb Everest. And I don't know if you know Everest, but you have to raise about 30 grand, 30,000 pounds but whatever the figure is thirty thousand dollars 
to get all the people you need to get to you even to base camp. So you've got to raise lots of money. So she 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 raised the money. And with Everest, she was saying that uh, you get all the stories of people dying and you climb over dead bodies. <laughs> this is what she was telling me. She was getting she was she was going she was um, um, she was going up. But it was quite fun because she actually she actually got to the top of Everest. And then, by the way, with Everest, you start dying at the top because of the, the pressures and the oxygen and all that sort of thing. So you can't mess around. Coming down is very dangerous because if you don't get down quick enough, you sort of expire. If you if you dance around congratulating yourself for being too too much at the top. Now, these are all stories. I've never been up there, so I'm not going to say what's actually what's actually true. But you can't afford to spend too much time at the top because your body things are happening to your body. But she was said she said it was a little bit like God. Anyway, a little bit about near heaven because you're sort of touching the touching the universe. Anyway, she then came back. And then about six months later, she said, Mike, that was too easy. I'm going up the hard way. <laughs> so she actually, she actually, she actually went up again the, uh, by, a, by, a, by a, a, different, a, a different route, and she succeeded in that. Um, funny enough, she's become a coach now. <laughs> she, she's, be, she, she's become a coach now. But after doing all, I, I finished in a second, but she did all the mountains, then she decided to do the desert. Okay, and when she did her first desert expedition, she actually hated it because she said when she was up in a mountain, it was a being like the heavens. But actually, when it was on a desert, you were totally desolated, and there was nothing there, and it was it was it was it was actually quite depressing. So she gave up with the desert. She gave up with the desert plan. However, the point I want to make is here that sometimes we just don't know. She wrote to the hundred richest people in Poland. And somebody gave her the money to, 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 to come and stay in the UK. You don't know. But if you don't try things, you'll never find out. Mm -hmm. Be bold. Swing for the fences. Do your yeah. best. Yeah, it's um, okay. We have to learn to pick ourselves up. Well, if, if you were to prescribe, you know, what routines or habits would you encourage someone to develop as they move along their, their coaching journey? Ah, um, I'm trying to think of an answer because when I'm with my NLP hat on, I'm very into daily routines mm -hmm. because, um, um, I mean, I have a series of daily, da daily routines, which is I do some exercises first thing in the morning. I do a little bit of meditation. Um, um, at night I'll do, I'll do Marshall's daily questions and some other things. There's some, there's some other things in there. Daily routines in my view are incredibly important because we are creating order in a disordered world. One of the one of the one of one of the things that seems to make people happy, resilient, and all that sort of stuff, as I say, is good relationships. Another two are um, having some certainty of what's going on, and what's the what, what's the right, what's the right word? Yeah, is having some certainty of what's going on. And a way of having certainty is if you create some very simple routines during the day, you actually know what's happening. So. You have got you've got a bedrock of certainty. You built you built routines which are a bedrock of certainty, and then when you do things and they don't go you know, they don't go as expected, you're okay because if one or two things don't go expected, but your life is still um, you can still predict that next day you're going to have your routine. I don't know if I'm explaining this at all well, but my my view is establishing basic routines gives us a sense of certainty in our lives, which means we can cope much better with uncertainty. Mm. Okay. 
So find your footing and you'll know when things are not as yeah. they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. But if you do, do develop routines, because actually doing a bit of exercise, doing a bit of meditation, asking, doing daily questions, setting some goals at the beginning of the day, maybe even doing some affirmations at the beginning of the day, nothing too heavy, but a little bit of basic routines makes everything much easier, in my view. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I would say exercise as an entrepreneur is one of the few things that keeps me sane. Uh, and I, can, <laughs> I can literally feel my brain and body changing if I miss, you know, yes. three, day, three no, days in, right. if missing it, my wife right. will say, something's wrong. Like, go spend some yeah. time in the garage, go to the gym, go do something, go for a run. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty key. Um, and then daily questions. Let me ask, is there a question or two that you would recommend people have on their daily questions list if they're starting out as a coach? Oh, um, um, I'm trying to remember what mine are. I do have something. <laughs> have, I, have I done my best to add value to my clients? Mm. Is something that, that's, that, you know, that's, that's simple there. I mean, have I done my best to do my exercise routine? Um, please do not forget, have I done my best to have some fun during the day? Michael, I would fail that one six out of seven times, probably. Yeah, well, we all do, but it's a bit silly. We have a life, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 the, the, there is an idea that the brain tends to sink to the negative unless we do something to keep it positive. That's why mm. gratitude, you know, what, are, what are three things I'm gratitude, what, what are three things, um, whatever the right word is, I'm, 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 I'm I have gratitude today is really useful because it fixes our it fixes our mind on the positive where our mind can sink to the negative and same mm. forgetting to have fun is 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 something that it's very easy to do especially if we're under work you know we're under pressure we've got a mortgage all that sort of stuff so we need to have some time I'm saying the obvious I apologize about this but we need to have some time where we can enjoy ourselves mm. yeah no, it's a message that must be I shouldn't, have to say it. I shouldn't have to say it, but I have to say it to myself. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, well, let me ask if I'm a client, you know, one of the, or if I'm, I'm a leader, one of the challenges that faces coaching as an industry is there's such radical differentiation between not just, uh, not just, you know, theoretical or intellectual leading groups, but also the individuals that practice their methodologies such that leaders can have a pretty difficult time understanding what is what, who is who. Um, if I'm one of those leaders and I say, you know, coaching, I think could be right for me, but I'm just not sure where to start. Where would you point them? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist saying I'd give you three sessions. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. No, that's, that's, we'll it's out. an invitation. <laughs> and we'll mm -hmm. work out what you really want, and then we'll work out whether I can help you get there. Mm -hmm. um, Does the rest there's, there's all the different. I know. Sorry, I know everybody's bought into um, um, different, you know, uh, different certificates and all that sort of thing. But in the end, as a leader, um, many my view is some people actually need the certification and all that sort of stuff. But many people, they have. If somebody can genuinely help them get their outcome, if somebody can genuinely help them, yeah, help them get their outcome a little bit faster with a little bit more pleasure, with a little bit less pain, and can help them on their journey so they can chat to them, um, it sounds like a slam dunk to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And you can, of course, point people in the right direction if you decide that it's not something that you can, like you mentioned with oh, your no. friend earlier. No, no, no. Absolutely. 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 Okay. Okay. Good. We well, need coaches. Uh, Sorry, just to end, we need coaches. Oh, you may call them something else, but actually, mm. humans as an individual, we have blind spots, we have egos, we have cognitive dissonance. To have somebody that we can honestly share stuff with and bounce stuff off is something that will help all our performances, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, last question I want to tee up before we close is that in Stakeholder Center Coaching, we, we give our clients a list of do's and don'ts uh, for their behaviors uh, as leaders. So if I'm a coach, what do's and don'ts might you prescribe for coaches who are trying to find their footing in the industry? So think about that question. We're going to wrap up and we'll conclude with that question. So um, we are nearing the end of our time. I want to invite all of you who are watching at home or who are listening on your drive to join our conversation. If there is a question you'd like to ask, a coach you'd like to hear interview, or a topic you'd like to hear explored, drop us a line at podcast at mgscc.net. And if you're interested in learning more about the Stakeholder Centered Coaching Program, go to mgscc.net forward slash sample course, mgscc.net forward slash sample course to get instant access to the course Foundations of Stakeholder Center Coaching, where you can learn the founding principles of our coaching methodology at no cost to you. So, Michael, do's and don'ts. What would you, what would you prescribe? Um, I would say do, I'm using the wrong words, but love yourself more, like yourself mm. more, be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Be almost almost treat yourself as one of your clients. You're nice to your clients. You work hard for your clients. Almost almost think about yourself in the same way. So almost we can coach ourselves. And I know it may sound may sound a bit strange, but the the, the first one is, as I say, um, be okay, be like ourselves, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. Um, and there is actually quite a there's some very interesting stuff around. Um, if we can be coached by our future selves, we should imagine what our future self, what what we would like our future selves to be, and almost check in with our future self, who has all the knowledge, who's gone through all the the pains, and has has finally succeeded. Asking our future self what we would do in that situation is surprisingly useful. Mm. So develop a good relationship with your future self. I mean, I know it sounds a bit weird, but but it is very effective. Mm. Well, Michael, it has been wonderful to have you. Before we say goodbye to our listeners, tell us one more time, how can people follow your story, follow you, or get in touch with you? Um, if you if you go to um, nlp-techniques.org or nlp-training.org, um, you can contact me. I am, easy, I am reasonably easy to contact.